as uh, as we as we joked about, we are in the midst of a long series. Um, but before that, they will be. Are they selling tickets today? I thought, yeah. There is a, a women's ministry event coming up entitled Sharing Grace, and it will be on April 2nd, Thursday, April 2nd, that evening. Uh, it will be dinner and worship. Uh, the worship will be Daryl, AJ, and Stacy um, singing uh, a few songs, and then there will be uh, a presentation given by um, a really hot girl uh, who will be speaking about her journey with God through um, her special needs daughter, um, or something to that effect. I didn't say that as very well, but... Uh, it's my wife. Uh, Sharing Grace is the title of it. Um, our daughter is, her name is Grace, and you've heard me tell my story of what I've learned. Um, but Jenna has learned a whole lot, uh, also a lot of different things than I've learned, and she has experienced a lot of different things than I've experienced throughout our life with our daughter. And, and this is the beginning, hopefully, of a uh, strong women's ministry here. So we invite all of you women, um, sorry uh, if you're a guy. To, uh, to come and, uh, and participate in this. If you have questions, go to the parlor afterwards. Um, they are selling tickets out there. You can see Carrie Spielhagen. What? Oh, you're outside. You're outside. Uh, they will be outside over there by the children's ministry door. Um, I mean, if you're waving at me, say something, you know. Uh, so if you have questions about that, apparently you can see Carrie Spielhagen, the one screaming and waving over there. So uh, there you go. I just wanted to plug that, um, not because she's my wife, but um, because I think it's, uh, I mean, that's part of it, but because I, I really do think it's going to be an amazing event. I mean, I know the story, um, and uh, so that's why I think it will be an amazing event. But today we will continue on the Jesus way, and never fear, we're almost there. I mean, I, I don't know how many of you are, are, how many of you are tired of Eugene Peterson in the Jesus way? Okay, Ty West, excellent. He's the one reading the book. How many of you are reading the book? Okay, a few of you. How many of you think the book is too hard to read? Most, okay, uh, almost everyone who's reading the book. Uh, oh yeah, uh, yeah. It, he is an interesting writer, I will say that. Um, and he takes a long time to say essentially the same thing. Um, and what uh, my friend Ty over here, who's in my uh, small group as we're studying this book, has discovered, if you read the first few sentences of every paragraph, you're pretty good. Um, because he will restate what he says in each paragraph. However... I think what he has to say is pretty important. And I think what he has to say is pretty enlightening as we are trying to leave behind, as, as he puts it, that, that head mentality, just, just focusing on the truth of Jesus and, and rediscovering the way of Jesus. If we want to live our life as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, then we ought to live like him because that is what he called his disciples to. And he said, come follow me. It wasn't just, you know, come walk right behind me. It was come be like me. Come be like me. See what I do and do it. Hear what I say and say it. See how I live my life and live your life that way. And as those young men followed their rabbi, they became like him. And as they lived their lives, as he lived his life, they changed the world. They literally changed the shape of the world, which is amazing and powerful. Yet in today's world, in today's Christianity, we've lost that sense. We've lost that way. We've fallen back into our way, and we've fallen back into the way of the world. And, and that's what today is about. The, over the past weeks, we've talked about examples of people from the Bible who, who you can look at and say, well, he, kinda, he got it. He understood the way of Christ, even if they lived before Christ. He understood how to live his life in such a way that glorified God. 
But today I want to give you a counterexample of that. How many of you get National Geographic, subscribe to National Geographic? Okay, the same people reading the, the book, um, <laughs> Eugene Peterson book. A, a few people did. A few months ago, um, back in December, I think it was, there was a, an issue on King Herod. It was huge, and it was King Herod, and they had a big story about him. And then later on, there, the television, uh, I think it was on the History Channel, Discovery, one of those, did a big presentation on King Herod. And, and what happened is they found his tomb. Archaeologists found his tomb, and there was this great renewed excitement in King Herod. And let me tell you, King Herod's an impressive guy. I mean, if, if you go through who King Herod was, the dude was successful. If you have your Bibles, it's going to be real quick, so you may not want to open up to it. You can just mark it. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16 is where I am. Of course, you know at the beginning of this Matthew um, uh, gospel is the story of Jesus' birth. Verse 16, Herod was furious when he learned that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two, two years old and under because the wise men had told him the star first appeared to them about two years earlier. Herod's brutal action fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah. A cry of anguish is heard in Ramah, weeping and mourning under strain. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Let me tell you a, little things, a couple of things about Herod. And I'm going to use my notes because he's so big, I have to, I wrote a lot down. He was, by all accounts, the richest man in the history of the world. He wasn't the richest man at that time period. Historians believe that because of his wealth and because of his buildings and because of his power, he was the richest man in the history of the world. Bill Gates who? He out-earned, he had more money, had more wealth than Bill Gates even does. And for those of us today, we're like, really? Wow, Bill Gates. The richest man in the history of the world. Why? Because, well, his family origins, he, they controlled one of the major spice routes in that area. And so they were pretty much a tollway. Anyone that went through their area paid them money to get through their area. The other thing, one of the other things he had, this is funny, it was the Viagra of their day, balsam. And he created it, and he was like, as Mitnitsky said earlier, he was like Coca-Cola. He was the only person who knew the exact formula. In fact, he would have a group of people working on the first part of the formula in this area. He would have a stone wall separating them from the people who would be completing the other part of the formula. No one was to know the exact formula. It sold for more than gold. The price of this stuff was more than gold. Women bought it by the droves because they, it was believed to, once you wore it, to excite a man within a hundred paces. It was a, a huge money-making device for him at the time. At any given time, he employed 40 to 60% of the people of Israel. Think of that. He employed 40 to 60% of the people of Israel. And on top of that, he paid all of their taxes to Rome for them. He's employing 60% of the people of Israel and he pays the taxes to Rome for them. He had some money and some power. He ruled for 34 years. He was set in place as ruler over Israel and actually even a greater area by Caesar who was so impressed with his ability to lead, his ability to come in and to turn a, a, a place around to follow him. 
We'll get into how he did that later. He was an Olympic medalist. I never knew this about him. I learned this today. He was an Olympic medalist in javelin in Athens. He went and he won an Olympic medal in the javelin. He was a pretty impressive guy. If you said the name Herod during that time, you knew exactly who you were speaking about. Herod was a name that just reverberated around the world. People knew who Herod was. He offered sacrifices to the Roman gods. This is interesting. I told you that only he knew the entire recipe to that balsam. He, of course, would have to have some managers there who would bring the two recipes together. Once they did that, he would kill them. He would kill them because he had to be the only one who knew the recipe. He killed his wife. He killed three of his sons, his brother-in-law. He was pretty much a man known for mass murder. It was said that he wanted his, he, on his deathbed, he wanted 5,000 of the leading Israelites gathered together in this arena and slaughtered so that people would mourn and weep on the day of his death. That's actually why he killed his wife, because she wouldn't carry out his plan. 5,000 people, he wanted them brought in and slaughtered so that people would cry. It was said that Caesar made a comment that uh, um, it was better to be one of Herod's pigs than it was to be his family member, because Herod was kosher. And he wouldn't have eaten a pig, but he would have killed his family member. Everything he did was big. He was the largest builder in the world. He built the largest temple in the world. It was the temple to the God of Israel, but it had to outbuild. He had to outbuild the other temples of the world. He built the largest pool and mausoleum at his Herodium. He built uh, seven palaces. He built a man-made harbor in Caesarea where there was no harbor. He sank these tremendously large stones a hundred feet down into the water without the effects of scuba gear, the benefits of scuba gear, anything like that. He was a tremendous leader. He was, by all accounts, mighty and powerful. Historians write about him a lot. As you can see in National Geographic, his name is still brought forward. Funny thing is about it, though, is he probably would be disappointed in the fact that it was National Geographic in the Discovery Channel. Because that's not big enough. I mean, how many of you really actually read National Geographic? Once you're out of elementary school, how many of you actually ever read? Yeah, like three or four of you. How many of you read People? The Discovery Channel, yeah, that's great, that's wonderful. I'm addicted to the Discovery Channel, love it. But why isn't it HBO or Fox or NBC or CBS or ABC, one of the big networks? He would have been upset. I'm much bigger than this. Because for Herod, what what was important was success. For Herod, what was, what was important to him was big, huge success at the expense of anything. As you can see in this scripture, he was not about to take chances. And, and if something came against him, he was willing to wipe out hundreds of people, thousands of people 
to secure his place. You may say, why, why do I go on and on about Herod? Well, this is one of the examples that Jesus could have fallen. This is one of the people that he could have looked to as, as a leader who was very successful. And I'm going to follow after him and I'm going to shape my leadership like his. Another example of the time, the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are an interesting group of people. They were Jews. And Eugene Peterson tells a story in the book. And I actually, I told David this morning, um, a few years ago, about three years ago, I went to this conference and Eugene Peterson was speaking. And he told this story. And I was like, I know he was writing. Now it all clicks. I I bet he was writing the book at this time. He tells this story of a guy who buys a house. And he buys a house in the mountains, and and he's got this beautiful plate glass window, just beautiful big window, and it looks out over this gorgeous lake, pristine lake, and then mountains right behind it. It's one of those views that you just want to sit there and just stare. One of those views that makes you in awe of God's creation. And so he buys this, and he's like, oh, this is the best the best view ever, and he creates this little sitting area where he can look out. And then, then one day he gets a couple of spots on the window. Oh, this is kind of disturbing my view. And so he goes out and he gets a little Windex and some, you know, paper towels and he cleans it up. And then, you know, a little storm comes through and the window gets a little more dirty and a little filth on it and stuff. And it's kind of obscuring his view. And, okay, well, it's not just Windex and paper towels anymore. I got to get a bucket. I got to get some squeegees. And he, he kind of goes on this route and he gets some ladders and then he builds scaffolding on the inside and the outside to keep this window clean because he has got to keep this window clean and, and everything becomes consumed with keeping the window clean to the, to the point that he no longer sees the view. That's the Pharisees right there. Pharisees, a little history of who they were. The Pharisees started out basically as a rebellion group against the Hellenists, the Hellenists, the Greek movement that was sweeping through with thought and sword was telling you about humanism, was saying that the body was the best, that you are your own God, all of these different things. And they were fighting against it. They were rebelling against this. And they were saying, we are true to the one God and we believe in his justice and his mercy and his salvation. And so they immersed themselves in their religious practices As time went on, they slowly became an opposition group. And as time went on, they slowly became more and more focused on those practices that they fought so hard for than the fact that they were worshiping God. They slowly became more focused on the external stuff than the internal stuff. They had passion for God. Great passion for God. They were loyal to God. Great loyalty to God. But they didn't have a personal relationship with God. And that's why you see Jesus talking against the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were so threatened by Jesus. And there are many things that Jesus talks about. The Pharisees saying it's not about the outside stuff, it's the inside stuff. There's no sense in cleaning the cup. If what you take into your body isn't clean. I just destroyed that scripture, but you get me. But what Jesus could have done is he could have followed the Pharisees because they were passionate for God. And he could have followed Herod with his great success. As I was 
reading this and, and looking through this, I really thought about today's time and, and where Christianity is going right now and where the church is going right now. Because there are churches out there that are focused on success. And quite honestly, if you looked at our church 10 years ago, that's who we were. We were focused on success. Build it bigger, build it larger, and they will come. Be more grandiose and people will come. Be the biggest you can be. Be the best you can be and people will come. Because the more people in here, the better we're doing. The more people who come to New Heights, who come to the sanctuary, the more members we have, the more powerful we are and the better we're doing. You still see that if you look around at some of the churches in our community and throughout the country. It's about big and grandiose. It's about success. pharisaical way the way of rules and regulations in order to be a true Christian you must do this, 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 this you're not doing that why aren't you doing that why aren't you spending time in prayer why aren't you doing your Bible study why are you living your life this way why are you eating that why are you going to this place why, 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 why nitpicking people to the point where they turn away So easy is it for us to fall into those, one of those two sides. One of the questions Peterson asks, actually not Peterson, but uh, the guy who wrote the study guide for this asks, is which do you see yourself more aligned with, the success side or the passion side? Do you see yourself more aligned with getting success and getting big and getting large, or do you see yourself following these rules and regulations? In order to be a true believer, I need to be doing these things. And if I'm not doing these things, being legalistic about it, I'm not a true believer. And I sat there and I thought about it for a moment. I was like, dude, I'm Herod. I am totally Herod. I want more people in here to hear how great I am. Yeah, y'all can laugh at that. That's all right. I want all these people to come in. I want people to download my sermons off the Internet. I want, I mean, I, I just, I find myself falling into that trap from time to time. Don't get me wrong. I don't sit up in my office all the time going, how can I make myself better? How can people like me more? But Herod's my trap, not the Pharisees. I'm way too laid back for the Pharisees. But what are you? What's the thing that you're driven to? Which one is it? Is it that pharisaical way of living where you've got to have checklist after checklist after checklist to be a believer? Or is it that side of you that says it's got to be big and it's got to be large and we've got to have success? Or, or maybe, maybe you're living the Jesus way. If you looked at it, Jesus wasn't concerned about big crowds. Sure, there's a couple of times where he spoke to large groups of people. But for the most part, he kept it small, didn't he? He worked with small groups of people. He spent the majority of his, of his time with 12 or with 3. He spent the majority of his time teaching to small groups of people, building relationships with those people, serving those people. Because the Jesus way isn't about what you can do or how you do it. It's just about doing it. 
It's about being the love of Christ in the world. It's about serving those people. It's about building relationships. See, that's, that's what the Pharisees missed, is that relational aspect of it. They missed that spending time with somebody, getting to know them, getting to hear their struggles, getting to lift them up when they fall, getting to high-five them when they have a victory, walking life together. That's the model that Jesus set up for us. That's the Jesus way. So if you want to turn from that Herod way or that pharisaical way and you want to be the Jesus way, then I ask you this question. Are you in a small group? Are you spending time with a smaller group of people learning about Jesus together, worshiping Jesus together, serving Christ in this world together? Are you doing that? Are you spending time with even a smaller group of people, maybe a a group of two other people that you're just really experiencing life with, that you really can be raw with, that you can go to and say, I'm having the worst day of my life. I don't know why God's doing this. Or I just experienced God in such a cool and awesome way that nobody will understand but you. Are you living your life in such a way that you're building these relationships? We're not going to change the world by filling the Alamo Dome and singing songs to Jesus. It's been done. People have tried it. And the world is the same. We're going to change the world by living life together. We're going to change the world by walking hand in hand with one another and experiencing the Jesus way of life together that's how he did it. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you and praise you that you are a God of relationships. That you are a God who doesn't set himself apart from us, but you want to be with us. That you want to experience our life with us. That you want to walk side by side with us. And you want us to experience that with one another. That you want us to be in community. That you want us to come together as the body of Christ and experience those highs together and experience those lows together. God, you're you're not concerned about the big numbers. You're concerned about each one of us individually. You're concerned about each one of our souls, where each one of us is going. You hurt when we hurt and you rejoice when we rejoice God God, I just pray that you would help all of us to see this to, to grasp hold of this message and to turn away from this Herod way of life or this Pharisee way of life and to turn to your way of life to begin to experience our life with you in a relational personal level Lord, I guarantee if people haven't done that before, if people have never experienced the personal message of Jesus and the cross and coming to the cross, that is where we find life. That is where we find truth. God, I pray that you would unveil their eyes, that you would lift those curtains from them, that they would see your glory, and that you would use the rest of us to show it to them. Lord, I thank you, and I praise you. In Jesus' name.